The question I want to ask, it's a very simple question, brother, and a very simple question that I think is easy to ponder in theory and not so easy to do in practice. But the question is this, are you submitted to the Lord's will? Are you submitted to the Lord's will? And I could have asked, are you fully submitted to the Lord's will? But I, I feel like in some sense that leaves this option open over here where we could say that we are submitted, but not completely, not wholly, not in every sense and in every way. Not absolute submission, but brethren, the Bible doesn't leave that option for us. We don't have a choice to be somewhat submitted to the Lord's will. We must be completely submitted to the Lord's will in whatever it is that He calls us to do, that we are submitted to Him. And so I don't want to ask whether or not you're fully submitted. We just need to determine whether or not we are submitted to the Lord's will. Because ultimately, brethren, either, either you are or you aren't. Either your yes is yes or your no is no. Either you're willing to do whatever the Lord would desire of you and have you to do, or you're not. And we need to abandon this middle ground where we might say, well, I, I want to do the Lord's will, but I don't know if I want to do it right now. Or I don't know if I want to do it in that particular way. And so I want us in some sense to just feel this this burden, a, a desire in us, brethren, to be submitted to the Lord's will, whatever He has for us, whatever He desires of us, no matter the cost, no matter the result, no matter what, how it might make us feel, but that we would be submitted to Him. And I want to I do this by giving you two examples, two opposite examples, one good, one very bad. Now, I could give you a bunch of different, we could think of a, a bunch of examples in the Bible, of course. I think of, of good examples, right? Good examples of people submitted to the Lord's will. What are some examples that you guys can think of? People who are submitted to the Lord's will. Abraham, how so? What is he? Yeah. Well, yeah. So, so I say this because, right? You, even if you say Abraham, right? There's, it's, there's a plethora of things under Abraham that we might say this man is submitted to the Lord's will. Mina says he goes and offers his, uh, willing to go and sacrifice his son. Right? I mean, you put yourself in Abraham's position. God tells you, go up to the mountain. You take your, you take your firstborn son, and you slaughter him. I mean, are you packing your bags and telling your friends, I'll be back. Got to go up the mountain. Got to take my son. I'm submitted to the Lord's will. Right? He, I, I, was, I was thinking, as you said, Abraham, just right out of the gate, God tells him, pack up your stuff, and you're going. You're moving, a different, moving to a different place. Leave behind your family. Leave behind your life, everything you've ever known. And he does it. He picks his stuff up, and he leaves, just, just, just willing to submit to the Lord's will. What other, what other examples can you find in the Bible? People submitted to the Lord's will. Paul. Paul? What would be a... Uh, God said, you're going to suffer, but you're going to speak the truth. Yeah, yeah. Interesting thing, right? At the start of Paul's ministry, he's told, I will show you how much you will suffer for my namesake, right? 
Paul knows this is not going to be easy. And, and he still goes, walks in it, right? He's still, how many of you start off your Christian life that way? God tells you, you're going to suffer for my namesake, right? What else? Other, any other examples that come to your guys' mind? There's obviously a, a bunch of these, right? Christ. Christ. This is going to be my example. We'll get there. Huh? Noah. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, you, you know, you could really just kind of go through Hebrews 11, right? And you could see in there all these people. And we, we sort of think of it as this passage that talks about the faith of these people. But fundamentally, what does that mean? If they're walking in faith, it means that they're walking in accordance with the Lord's will. God tells this man, go and build a boat because I'm going to bring a flood. And then he spends the next hundred something years building this boat for a flood that's going to come and being mocked and ridiculed and, and no one joins him in his task. And then you go down the list, right? There's others that are there and they're submitted to the Lord's will. They're willing to walk in it. Now, the reason that I'm going to take us to this example is because there while we have other examples in the scripture, and they're good ones, they're people that we can see, they, they walk in accordance with the Lord's will, mostly. But even a lot of these people, we see them at times when they don't walk in accordance with the Lord's will. Even Abraham, for example, right? Abraham, he is given a promise, your descendants, uh, I'm gonna, you're going to make you a blessing, your descendants, you're going to be the father of many nations, all of these, you know, I'm going to give your, this land to your inheritance, and lo and behold, 10 years later, what's Abraham still without? Still without a son, still without an heir, right? So what does he do? Does he just say, oh, Lord's will, going to just walk in it. He and his wife are like, listen, we're submitted to the Lord's will, no matter what, this promise is coming. This is not exactly what happens, right? What do they do? They go and they get the, Sarah's uh, handmaiden there, Hagar, and you know what happens there, right? But my point is to say there, there's people that they walk in the Lord's will. They, they seem submitted to the Lord's will. And then at other times, because, because they're human, because they're sinners, they don't walk perfectly in accordance with the Lord's will. But there was one man fully and completely submitted to the Father's will. He's the man who speaks like what Kyle read there in the song. Behold, I delight to do your will, O God. My desire is to come and do whatever the Father would have me to do. Whatever that means, however difficult that might be, my desire is to fulfill my Father's will. End of story. There's one man, brethren, who did it perfectly. And he's the one that we are told in the scripture to follow. You know this, right? Hebrews chapter 12 says, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We have one man who is perfectly walked in every way to follow, to emulate, to watch and to do like he did. And so I want us to get this picture in our mind of him submitted to the Lord's will. And I do think that the most fundamental place we see this takes place, as our brother had said, is in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
And Kyle read the section there in Matthew 26. But, brethren, you get this man who is singularly focused to do the Father's will. There was, there was nothing, whether an, an outside force or some internal drive within himself that would lead him away from obedience in walking in the Father's will. This was a life from beginning to end marked by complete submission to the Father's desires. And whatever the Father laid on the table, He would do. And even here, in this greatest moment of trial, before He enters into the crucifixion and His, tri his trial before the uh, leaders there in Jerusalem, we see this man lay down all that he would have desired and commits himself fully to the will of the Father. And so I want you to picture him there in the garden, brethren. You picture him. As Luke says, he sweats great drops of blood because he... <laughs> the burden of what was to come. Coming multiple times into prayer before his father. And the pressure mounts, the burden upon his soul is so great that, that none other could carry except the Lord Jesus Christ. And brethren, if we, if we ponder this scene, how difficult this was for the Lord Jesus, it will help us to see and understand the determination that Christ had to submit Himself to the Father's will. This was no easy task. But He was determined that even in the midst of unimaginable difficulty, He was going to stay submitted to the Father's will. And we see how just, just how difficult it would be for the Son to walk in this, in, in the midst of those horrors in, the, in Gethsemane. Listen to this. One writer puts it this way. I have a handful of quotes for him I want you to hear. But he starts by saying this. What Jesus asks for is clear. What is Jesus asking for in the garden? In that passage that, that Kyle read, he, when he goes and he prays to his father those three times, that the cup would pass. What Jesus desires, as he goes and he prays to his father, it is clear, brethren, take this cup away, Father, please. Isn't this interesting? Brethren, you have got to see this, that even though Christ was submitted to the Lord's will, it did not necessarily make it easy. In fact, we could say very, very much so that Christ desired that it be different. That it be different. He asks, could there not be some other way? Could there be a different cup? Another cup? But of course, brethren, there would be no other cup. And he would have to be resigned to drink that cup down to the end. But nevertheless, in this scene, brethren, we see Christ, as Hebrews says that he is, made like his brothers, so that we can understand him as being a high priest who can sympathize with us. We see him here as one who looks at the will of God and sees it as almost unendurable. 
How can I walk in that if that's what God's will is? And brethren, this is how often I think God's people can find themselves. If they have to enter into God's will and it's not easy and it's, it's going to be hard and it's going to require suffering or it's going to require some form of difficulty, they can, be, they can be shaken deeply about what's before them. And brethren, Christ sympathizes with this. He knows what it is to be in a situation and, and have said, Lord, is there another cup? Another cup that can be drinking. Brethren, how many Christians maybe have prayed this same thing? Father, would you give me a different cup? Would you change your almighty decree just this one time so that I could take a different path? That I could, that I could give me a different will, Lord. This one's hard. This one's not easy. And brethren, we, our Lord sympathizes here with this. But brethren, He knows it in a deeper way than any other Christian will ever have known it. Because no one will ever have had to walk in as difficult of a will that the Father has laid out as Christ. No one will ever have to walk in that like He did. This, this author, he says this, this road that Christ is on, it is not a road less trodden. This is a road never trodden before or since the cup of the one man, the Son of God, he shudders. There is dread there and bewilderment and fear. Brethren, Christ in this garden, he's overwhelmingly distraught. And we see why. Listen to this. The physical, observable events, for all their horror, did not exhaust the curse. <clears throat> did not exhaust the curse. Like Moses, Jesus had a rendezvous with God. But there is one almighty difference. He is not here merely to receive the law, but to suffer its curse. There will be pain indeed, and he shrinks from it. There will be an awful loneliness and he shrinks from it. There will be a virulent, hellish demonic. But there will be even more than this. The curse, what will it mean? The full ransom price, what will it mean? Forsaken by God, what will it mean? The thunder and lightning of unmitigated divine judgment condemning sin in his frail body, what will it mean? Brethren, so he's, he's under this weight. He's praying to the Father, if there be another cup. If there be. But brethren, you suppose for a minute of the Lord Jesus that He fails to walk in the will of the Father. Where would you be? If, if the Lord Jesus in this moment did not, was not so resigned to walk in the will of the Father, no matter the difficulty and the circumstances, where would you and I be? It's a terrifying thought. And lastly, here's another quote from this author. Here is nowhere else Jesus is tested. Tested in His love, in His faith, and in His courage. 
Here Satan shows him not all the kingdoms of the world as in a previous temptation, but the full cost of his love. And here he presses home the question, is it worth it? Brethren, this is the question that I think often is faced by the Christian as they stare down the potential of walking in the will of the Lord and it not being easy. The question becomes, is it worth it? And this is the question that Christ had to answer. Is it worth it to press in and be fully resigned and submitted to the Lord's will, even what will come? Even though these dreadful events are still and most certainly to come? And the answer, of course, is yes. The answer, of course, that the Lord Jesus has is yes. I have come, O Lord, to do your will. And so here I am. He asks for that there might be another cup, but there is no other cup. And so what is he left? He's left with, nevertheless, here I am, submitted to your will. Lord, if there be no other cup, give me the cup. I will drink it. I will walk in it. I will be submitted to it. Brethren, so we have to remember that this submission to the Lord's will, it is not easy. Many times it's not easy. It's something that can come with requiring much prayer, much difficulty. Many times, brethren, with sorrow. But the question is not, will it be difficult for me to submit to the Lord's will and follow Him? Brethren, it very well may be difficult. But you know what, brethren? To, to see the Lord's will, to recognize that it is difficult, and say, Lord, this is hard, this is not easy. That's not sin. Because this is what the Lord Jesus dealt with in the garden. What is sin is to say, I don't like it, I'm out. You see? To see it and to say, this is hard. Lord, it's hard to do what your will would lead me to do at times. So the question now whether it will be difficult, it most certainly will be at times. But the question is, will we submit ourselves to His will even though it be difficult? And know that the Father's will is the best thing that we can walk in, no matter what may come in it. So we see the Lord in the midst of this struggle, in the midst of the garden, and yet we see Him in, in such turmoil, yet resigned to keep the Father's will, to walk in it, no matter how difficult it is. He finds it to be the necessary path. If that's my Father's will, I am resigned to do that. Brethren, this is a path that I want us to walk. Christ did it from beginning to end. And it didn't get easier for him. That scene at the end, as he's in the garden, brethren, is the culmination of a life of being submitted always to the Father's will. And there at the end, he faces down the most difficult task that any person would ever endure, that no other person even could endure but himself, and still submitted to the will of the Father. Brethren, this is how we ought to, this is how we ought to walk, to be submitted to the Father's will, 
whatever it may cost us. But now let me show you another example. This is not an example like the Lord Jesus. This is not an example that you want to follow. This is a different path. But nevertheless, this is the path that many do take. Many Christians fall into this path. I want you to go to Jeremiah chapter 42. Jeremiah 42. Here's the scene. The Israelites, Judah specifically, is now at a point where they're facing destruction and exile, ultimately because of their long history of sin and idolatry and rebellion against God. But in this scene, we're going to see they, they come to the Lord through Jeremiah, and they're wanting to know, Lord, what would you have us to do? Because we're left with some choices here. We've got potentially some allies over in Egypt, and we can go flee over to Egypt, and these guys might fight for us. We can trust in them. Or, Lord, we have these enemies coming in to Judah. Should we stay here? Should we just submit ourselves under these, these enemies, these people that are coming in? They're really wondering, should we stay in the promised land and trust God? Or should we flee? Flee to the Egyptians and ask them to protect us. Now, that's what you're going to see take place. I'm going to read this story. And I want you to see what happens. So Jeremiah 42, starting in verse 1. We're going to read all the way through 43, verse 6. So it's a long section, but... So, Then all the commanders of the forces, and Johanan the son of Koreah, and Jezaniah the son of Hoshiah, and all the people from the least to the greatest came near and said to Jeremiah the prophet, let our plea for mercy come before you and pray to Yahweh your God for us, for all this remnant, because we are left with but a few as your eyes see us. That Yahweh your God may show us the way we should go and the thing that we should do. So you see their question, right? We want to know what is the will of God? What should we do here? Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard you. Behold, I will pray to Yahweh your God according to your request, and whatever Yahweh answers you, I will tell you. I will keep nothing back from you. Then they said to Jeremiah, <coughs> May Yahweh be true and faithful witness against us if we do not act according to all the word with which Yahweh your God sends to us. Whether it is good or bad, we will obey the voice of Yahweh our God to whom we are sending you, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of, Yah of Yahweh our God. So you see what they're saying. This sounds very much like the Lord Jesus. We're going to do it. No matter what you come back with, Jeremiah, we are resigned. We're going to keep the will of the Lord. Whatever he has to say, we're going to do it. Now, here's what it says. <clears throat> At the end of ten days, <clears throat> the word of Yahweh came to Jeremiah. Then he summoned Jehanan, the sons of Korea, and all the commanders of the forces who were with him, and all the people from the least to the greatest. And he said to them, here you go. 
Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your plea for mercy before me. If you would remain in this land, then I will build you up and not pull you down. I will plant you and not pluck you up. For I relent of the disaster that I did to you. Do not fear the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Do not fear him, declares Yahweh. For I am with you to save you and to deliver you from his hand. I will grant you mercy that you may have... that I, that. He may have mercy on you and let you remain in your own land. But if you say, we will not remain in this land, disobeying the voice of Yahweh your God and saying, no, we will go to the land of Egypt where we shall not see war or hear the sound of the trumpet or be hungry for bread and we will dwell there. Then hear the word of Yahweh, O remnant of Judah. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, if you set your faces to enter Egypt and to go to live there, then the sword that you fear shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt, and the famine of which you are afraid shall follow close after you to Egypt, and there you shall die. All the men who set their faces to go to Egypt to live there shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence, and they shall have no remnant or survivor from the disaster that I will bring upon them. For thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, as my anger and my wrath were poured out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so my wrath will be poured out on you when you go to Egypt. You shall become an execration, a horror, a curse, and a taunt. You shall see this place no more. Yahweh has said to you, O remnant of Judah, do not go to Egypt. Know for a certainty that I have warned you this day that you have gone astray at the cost of your lives. For you have sent me to Yahweh your God, saying, Pray for us to Yahweh our God. And whatever Yahweh our God says, declare to us and we will do it. And I have this day declared it to you. But you have not obeyed the voice of Yahweh your God in anything that he has sent me to tell you. Now therefore know for a certainty that you shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence in the place where you desire to go to live. Now, you can see, Jeremiah, we want you to go. Ask the Lord, what are we supposed to do? And whatever the Lord says, we're going to do it. So we've heard here, right? God says, this is what I'm telling you to do. Verse 19, Yahweh has said to you, O remnant of Jews, do not go to Egypt. You stay. Now look at the beginning of chapter 43. When Jeremiah finished speaking to all the people, all these words of Yahweh their God, to which Yahweh their God had sent him to them, Azariah the son of Hoashiah and Johanan the son of Kariah and all the insolent men said to Jeremiah, you are telling a lie. Yahweh our God did not send you to say, Do not go to Egypt to live there. But Baruch, the son of Neriah, has sent you against us to deliver us into the hand of the Chaldeans, that they may kill us or take us into exile in Babylon. So Jehanan, the son of Korea, and all the commanders of the forces and all the people did not obey the voice of Yahweh to remain in the land of Judah. But Jehanan, the son of Korea, and all the commanders of the forces took all the remnant of Judah who had returned to live in the land of Judah from all the nations to which they had been driven, the men, the women, the children, the princesses, and every person whom, whom Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had left with Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, son of Shephan, also Jeremiah the prophet, and Baruch, and the, the son of Neriah. They came into the land of Egypt, for they did not obey the voice of Yahweh, and they arrived at Tephathnes. This is quite a different scenario, is it not? 
these Israelites, they seem very willing to do what the will of the Lord is. They say, go pray to God for us that the Lord will show us what we should do. And whatever He says, we're going to do that thing. Brethren, they even said, whether it's good or whether it's bad, we are willing to do it. They seem committed, no matter the outcome, that they will be obedient to what the Lord desires. But the problem is this. They already have their minds up. They send Jeremiah out, and they already know what they're going to do before they send Jeremiah. It does not matter what Jeremiah comes back with, because they're not submitted to the Lord's will. They're going to Egypt. All they're hoping is that God will get on board with their plans. They have their plans set, and they want God to join them. But God's not joining them, brethren. These are people that make a show of being willing to be submitted to the Lord's will. But in the end, they're not because they're submitted to their own will, their own desires. They already have a plan. And the question, brethren, that we have got to ask is which one are we going to be more like? Are we going to be more like the Lord Jesus and His obedience, His submission to the Lord's will, or like these Israelites who have our own minds already made up and determined what it is that we want, what it is that we desire, and where it is that we're going, and our own will. Brother, will you say, I want to do the Lord's will. <clears throat> but then when it comes time to step forward and do the Lord's will, you decide to take a different path. You decide to go a different way, a way that's easier, a way that seems better for you. Have you said these words before? Like these Israelites in Jeremiah? Whether good or bad, I'm willing to obey the will of the Lord. But inside, your mind has, is already made up. You've already determined to do one thing or another. That you're not really resigned to do the will of the Lord. You're resigned to do your own will. And you're hoping that that might be the will of the Lord. But even if it's not, you're going to walk in it anyway. But then we have got to be mindful of this. This is a very dangerous place to be. You don't want to be in a place where you're walking in your own way and you're just, it doesn't really matter what the Lord would say. It doesn't really matter what maybe others would counsel you or, or how to think through the situation. Brethren, be mindful that you're not walking in the way of these Israelites. But if we're going to follow the Lord in His way of submitting to the Lord's will, we, we have got to you know, you, you gave Paul as an example. Paul is a great example of someone submitted to the Lord's will. But there's a reason why Paul was this way. This is a text I've quoted many times, but Galatians 2, verse 20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Paul recognizes this is not about, I have died. I'm dead. I'm not alive anymore. Brethren, as a Christian, if we're going to follow Christ, we've got to die. Is this not exactly what the Lord Jesus told us, right? What does it mean when He says, if you want to be my disciple, what must you do? Huh? Take up your cross. Deny yourself, right? Deny yourself. You've got to die. Put yourself away and be willing to say, whatever my, what does that mean? Deny yourself. 
Huh? Yeah, not your will, but God's will. De deny your, put away your desires, your ambitions, your hopes, your dreams, your plans, everything that you had, put it away over there and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Now, if some of that happens to be what the Lord wants you to do, then fine. But you got to be willing. Jesus says, whoever will not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Brethren, if we're not willing to say, whatever I have in my mind as my own will and my own desires, I am throwing it out. And I'm willing to say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I am willing to do. Brethren, this is what discipleship is. When Paul says this, we got to die, brethren. I have died with Christ, and I've been raised with Him, and my life is not my own anymore. We've been purchased by Christ, purchased by Him to be His servants. And a good servant does His Master's will. And in this case, brethren, this is the best place to be. Because we, we're not servants of a wicked master. We're not servants of a bad master. We're servants of a very good master. You remember in the Old Testament, there's uh, this law that's there. If the Israelites had slaves, and there's a slave that... Now, I recognize we may not understand this concept, but it's there in the Bible. If there's a slave that grows to love his master because he cares for him and loves him, protects him, provides for him. If there's a slave that grows to love his master, he can decide to stay forever with his master. Do you guys know this passage in the Bible? Now, what takes place if this slave says, I want to stay with my master forever? What, is he, what, what happens? Yeah, yeah. He, <laughs> I don't know why I'm meeting. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if that's what it looked like, but it, it might have. It, it says that his, his ear is bored through. He, there's a, a hole that is put into his ear. It's a sign of a, a covenant between the master and the slave. But I was just thinking of Aaron. You know, Aaron. Aaron. <laughs> Aaron, Aaron has symbolically uh, shown his submission forever to the Lord Jesus Christ by his gauges. Um, but, but nevertheless, right, you see this scene in the Old Testament of, of a servant that says, I love my master. I don't want to leave his house. He cares for me. He loves me. He provides for me and my family. I'm staying with him. Right? Brethren, this, this is, we have something greater than this in Christ. Now you can see that in some form there in the Old Testament. But brethren, we've come, we, we've been made servants of the greatest master that, that there ever could be. <coughs> and yet, we are his servants. We, we're, not, we're not the masters. We're not the owners. Talked about this in one of the Spanish Bible studies some time back. You see that parable in Matthew 25, right? This master, he gives, he, he makes his servants here stewards of his property. And brethren, that is all that the Christian is. He is no owner. He is no master. He is no head. He is nothing but a servant and a steward of all that is God's. Everything is his. And God proportions out to us things that we might take care of that are his. Even our own lives are not our own. They're his. 
They're owned by Him. And so we must use them for His glory and in submission to His will. <coughs> Brethren, we've come to this great Master and everything that He desires. Brethren, we can know this for certain. Everything that He desires is for the benefit of His kingdom and for His people. His will is always good. It is never bad. Now, it might look worse to the outside world than what they might think the good will is. It might actually even seem worse to you as you walk in it. But brethren, if it's truly the Lord's will, you can find joy that it is good for you and it is ultimately for God's glory. Now, some of you might be saying, as I said in the beginning, easier to theoretically grasp this than to practically do this. Some of you may be saying amen in your minds, but maybe not so much in your hearts. It is easy to say people need to be submitted to the Lord's will no matter what, to walk in obedience, whatever the Lord calls us to, until it touches you in a way that is not very easy until it affects you, until it's uncomfortable, until it's unsafe, until it's difficult, until it requires sacrifice or faith, or until it demands some matter of holiness, or it requires all of your heart and time and, and effort, then it becomes difficult. But brethren, there's this, listen, there's mindset that has swept Christianity and it, it often deals with things much more the way of the Israelites than it does of the way of Christ. Brethren, far too often, people are led into a place where they need to make some decision. Now, I, <laughs> I'm not pointing at anybody in here. I'm just naming some of the most standard things that typically come up, right? Things that need to be decided by us whether they're the Lord's will or not. It could be anything. Things small, things big. A job, a car, a move, a house, a spouse, anything. Brethren, it is astounding to me how few Christians will bring these things before the Lord in absolute humbleness, saying, Lord, what do you want? Forget what I want. What I want is irrelevant. Lord, I want to honor you. I want to bring you the most glory and the most honor in whatever it is that I'm going to do. Show me what path does that. Forget what I want. Lord, I got to get this. I, I'm, I'm not sure if I should take this job or if I should go do this thing with my family or if I should get this house or if I should get this car or if I should marry this person. And people, brother, I'm telling you how often it is that Christians don't lay that down before the Lord and say, Lord, if you want this, good. I want to walk in it. But if you don't want this, I'm trashing it. I am wholly submitted to you in this. Brother, we have got to be people that are shaped by that. That our deepest desire is to say, Lord, I want to honor you. End of story. Whatever that looks like. Whatever that path is, I want to walk in it. 
Now, of course, the question becomes, as many of you might be wondering in moments in your life, maybe right now you're asking questions about certain things that you're wondering, well, okay, what is the will of God for my life in this particular thing? And I think there's a lot that could be said about that, and I, I'm not going to deal with that right now. But let me say this, because I, I want to continue on this point for a minute. Suppose that the Lord appeared to you clearly and called you to walk in a path that seemed completely opposite from what you wanted to do, what the deepest desires of your heart were to be and to do. And you answer this question honestly for yourself. Would you abandon all to walk in it? Because listen, if the true answer to that is, I don't know, then you don't have to ask, oh Lord, what is the will in this situation? Because even if you knew it, you wouldn't walk in it anyway. We have got to be submitted, brethren. You'll end up just like the Israelites if you're not submitted. To ask the question like these Israelites, oh, I want to know the will of the Lord right here. I want to know what it is. What does He want me to do? How does He want me to act in this situation? What, what should I do right here? But brethren, if you're internally already have either had your mind made up or just not willing to listen no matter what, then it doesn't even matter if you come to know clearly what the will of the Lord is. These people knew clearly. It couldn't have been more clear. God said, I don't want you to go to Egypt. Stay there. And they didn't do it. Brethren, as you try to determine what is God's will, Settle it in your heart that whatever it might be, you are willing to walk in it. That when, if it comes back and it's the opposite answer from what you were hoping for, that you're willing to submit to it, that you're willing to walk in it. So that when it does become clear that you'll move and you won't delay and you won't wait and you won't be in disobedience. Brethren, our concern needs to be learning to submit ourselves to the Lord. This is the most basic step of the Christian life. You come in new birth under the Lord Jesus Christ and it is, Lord, I'm yours now. Do with me what you please. <clears throat> but if you are more concerned about what other people might think or what is the easiest path or what might be the most simple or enjoyable path, brethren, you may never walk in the Lord's will. Our, your strongest drive must always be, what does God want from me? What does God desire? Brethren, discerning the will of the Lord is no easy task, and, and it ought not be done hastily. <clears throat> we ought not run into something quickly. I remember listening to a sermon. I can't remember who it was, um, but I've always had this stuck in my head. The, the Lord works often slowly and through means to convince his people to do things. The devil works fast. The devil wants you to do something now. He, he wants you to feel like you're called to it now and you have to act right now. Brethren, that is not how God acts. That is not how God works. 
when my wife and I were thinking about buying a house, there were so many houses that had come up and it was like, oh, you got four days to decide. And I'm like, I'm not buying that one because that's not enough. I don't have enough time to just discern the Lord's will. I'm losing that one. Forget it. But brethren, we've got to be slow before we decide this is where I'm going. You got to know that the Lord's in it. Discerning the Lord's will is not easy, brethren, but, but again, we, we must have this complete submission to the Lord. Absolute willingness to walk in whatever He has for us. Let me just read these words of this hymn to close. My times are in thy hand. My God, I wish them there. My life, my friends, my soul, I leave entirely to thy care. My times are in thy hand, whatever they may be, pleasing or painful, dark or bright, as best may seem to thee. Let's pray.